Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Where KSL offers Utah deeper insights on the news. Host Boyd Matheson divides rage from reason and elevates the conversation on issues crucial to our community. On KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. I wanted to take a segment and just break down a little bit some of the conversations over the last several days. Of course, there's been hyper-focus on uh, debts and deficits and funding of government and all of that. Uh, hearings were held over the last few days in both the Senate Armed Services and as well as the counterpart committee in the House um, that I wanted to break down a little bit because it hasn't uh, really moved its way all the way through. And I think there's important lessons in there that we need to think about and think a little different about. So, of course, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, General Mark Milley, along with CENTCOM Commander General McKenzie and Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin, sat in front of first the Senate uh, Armed Service Committee and then the House Armed Services Committee yesterday. Uh, they were questioned mostly uh, about Afghanistan, a little bit about China and some of the previous administration. But I want to go through some of the things that came out of this hearing uh, that I think we really need to think about in terms of where are we and more importantly, where do we go next in terms of our place in the world? So in Tuesday's Senate Armed Services Committee, Senator Blackburn from Tennessee uh, talked to General Milley in particular that there is this growing concern that regular military members don't trust those up the chain of command. And I think what you did with making time to talk to these authors, burnishing your image, kind of, you know, building that bluster, but then not putting the focus on Afghanistan and what was happening there. General Milley, that is really disappointing to me. I know it's a disappointing to people that have served with you or under you, under your command, and it does not serve our nation well. You talked a little bit earlier about the damage, and you said damage was the right word to use when assessing what has happened in Afghanistan when you look at America's credibility. So how do you look the men and women in the eye that have served under your command? How do you look young men in the eye that are coming to our military academy days and who want to serve and say, you can depend on me. I've got your back. Because you know what? I think a lot of these families right now, they don't feel like you have your back. The special ops guys I met with Friday 
in my office in Nashville that are taking their time, their money, and risking their lives to do a job that the three of you could not do. Maybe we're going to remember you three as the three that broke the military. So it's a pretty harsh questioning from Senator Marsha Blackburn from Tennessee, uh, talking about just this confidence. The crisis of confidence, I think, is the, the issue, and whether it's within the military or whether it's within the country or it's with our allies around the world, uh, clearly the process by which American troops were withdrawn uh, and which uh, so many were trying to be evacuated and how that all played out, including the loss, uh, tragically, of 13 U.S. service members. And it was interesting to note that uh, that each of these uh, three that appeared before these committees uh, did talk about the fact that, you know, we really thought we should have kept something there, a 2,500, uh, some said as high as 4,000. Uh, and that that was uh, rejected by the administration uh, or not uh, acted upon by the administration. Uh, and so, again, the the conflicting stories, I think, is where we get the, the most challenge uh, in terms of that confidence. And again, that's confidence that goes up and down. It's, it's uh, not just the American people. It's not just uh, those within the military. It's also our allies around the world who have to to pause now and say, wait a minute, is uh, America with us and will they stay with us even when it gets really hard or gets really diff- difficult? Uh, yesterday, Representative Mike Johnson from Louisiana spoke about uh, a lack of accountability uh, coming out of D.C. in the wake of the withdrawal from Afghanistan. And the American people want and deserve accountability. And we even have service members like Lieutenant Colonel Stuart Scheller being thrown in the brig for suggesting that. The public's faith in our institutions continues to erode precisely because everyone in the D.C. bubble appears to have some sort of immunity from the basic standards the rest of America is expected to live by. Uh, Next, Representative Mike Rogers from Alabama asked General McKenzie, I think one of the questions that many have wanted to ask, which is why why we didn't hold on to the Bagram uh, base uh, instead of the Kabul airport. Uh, as a key to the withdrawal, and here's how that interchange played out. Had we kept control of Bagram, what forces or what options and capabilities would that have given U.S. forces during the withdrawal? Had that been in play? Well, in order to hold Bagram, I'd have needed to probably push in 5,000 more troops on the ground. So that would have been a, a significant decision to hold Bagram. Uh, and we were under the direction to go to zero. So it would require a basic policy uh, directive to change the plan. If you're going to go to zero and you're going to keep enough forces to hold your embassy in the airfield, it is incompatible to hold any other base anywhere in the country. So that's an interesting exchange. I think that's one that didn't get a lot of coverage yesterday in terms of how the policy was decided and then what it would have required to change course uh, once it was very clear and obvious that uh, things were not going to plan. And General McKenzie said, you know, we would have had to put more troops on the ground to hold that additional base, uh, which, again, was abandoned in the, the middle of the night uh, without a lot of warning uh, to anyone, including our allies, uh, not just the Afghans, but also uh, the other uh, partners that we had in Afghanistan uh, were surprised at how swiftly things were moved out, uh, that uh, military hardware was not uh, de-weaponized uh, or destroyed, but just allowed to go into the hands of the Taliban. 
and so that became a, a really interesting thing. But again, to, to General McKenzie's point, he said we would have had to put more troops on the ground uh, to do that. We were under the direction to go to zero. We were under the direction to go to zero, uh, McKenzie said. So that would have required and necessitated a policy change if they were going to do that. And uh, clearly that was uh, that was not uh, the agenda of the Biden administration. And so that's clearly where uh, things got really tough, I think, in terms of on the ground uh, and remembering those chains of command and where decisions are ultimately made uh, is is such a difficult test and uh, is so difficult uh, within that process. Uh, I want to go now to uh, to Liz Cheney, uh, who asked General Milley uh, the other important question of the day, which is, are we more safe now than we were before? Can you tell the committee whether or not you think we are now more safe or less safe, whether Afghanistan prevents, presents more of a threat or less homeland than when we were able to conduct counterterrorism, counterintelligence operations there? I think right now, right this minute, we are more safe because of the efforts over the last 20 years. However, I do think that conditions uh, are more likely than not to develop over the course of time that will allow for the reconstitution of al-Qaeda and or ISIS. And that time varies depending on which analyst you're listening to, but sometime between, say, 6 to 12 and maybe 36 months. So are we more safe or are we less safe? That's the ultimate question. Much more uh, needs to come out in terms of how Afghanistan was handled. More importantly, what do we do next and what's the American role in the world? That's a discussion we've got to get to as well. Step aside for one last commercial break. Stay with us on KSL News Radio. We'll be right back. A gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.